Welcome to episode number 13 of the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Abrams, your host. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode. You may submit feedback or request to be on the show through email, connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. My guest today on the Jackson Hole Connection is Bruce Houghton. Bruce is a young, vibrant, 80-year-old community leader who has lived in Jackson Hole for almost 50 years. Bruce moved into the valley in 1969 and opened his own architecture firm two years later. Combined with Bruce's quick wit and honest personality, he is a guy who has not been afraid to step up, offer help, when and where there is a need. Bruce is willing to share his perspective on important issues and work with anyone open to a meaningful conversation. I am so excited and thrilled to have Bruce as a guest on this episode. But before we begin, I have a quick word from one of my sponsors. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. Bruce, thank you so much for being here at the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm honored and thrilled to have you here and you taking time out of your busy schedule. Great to see you today. Thank you, Stefan. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. So, Bruce, you were not born and raised in Jackson Hole. Where did you say that, that you grew up and how did you land here in Jackson Hole? Well, I was born and raised in Maryland, and uh, I went to school, uh, architecture school at o- in Oklahoma, at the University of Oklahoma. I ended up here because I met an architect that w- had a practice of architecture in Lander, and my wife and I went to Dallas, Texas, to a wedding, and the, the groom was this architect's brother, and when that summer wa- rolled around in Oklahoma, we said, we got to get out of here, it's too hot. What about that architect in Lander, Wyoming? And I said, Lander, Wyoming? So we called, it was Bob Corbett who had a practice here. And he said, sure, come on up in the summer. So we, that was 1964. And we fell in love with Wyoming, spending the summer here. And then um, when I graduated in 1966, we went off to Europe for a couple of years, got back and I ended up, he offered me a job. He had moved the office to Jackson. I moved here in 1969. And the rest is history. And it's been a good history for you. Yeah, I, it's been it's been great. Uh, it's a great place to live. A challenging place for many reasons: the weather, the cost, other factors. But yes, it's been. Um, and, and next year, I will have been here fifty years. Are we going to have a big party for you? No, I hope not. <laughs> Do you not like parties? Oh yeah, I love parties. Okay. And the other thing I need to identify, which I think is really important for this podcast, yes, is I'm over eighty years old. And I've lived here almost 50 years. And so my attitude and my opinion is very much of a senior. And I think for the people who listen to this need to know that. Well, I tell you, interacting with you every week at Rotary, you do not come across as an 80-year-old person. You're very sharp. You're very witty and uh, a joy to learn and be around. Well, that's very kind of you. I appreciate that. I wish more people felt that way. <laughs> well, I do, uh, I, I do like to bring a sense of humor when it's appropriate to most things that I do. 
because there's a lighter side to everything, but there's a serious side also. And I, I think I can uh, express both of them, no question. So you were part of an architecture firm, and also you've been very involved in the community. Why were you so involved in your community? I saw needs in the community, and I moved here in 1969, opened my practice in 1971, and I, I've seen needs in the community, and I've been willing to step up and be a part of, of resolving, solving those needs with institutions, nonprofits in most cases, to deal with uh, those needs. For instance, I'm tooting my own horn, but in 1971, there was a group of mostly ladies and I, a couple other men, that started the Teton County Mental Health Association. There was no organized effort to deal with mental health issues in Teton County. And we saw that need and we started the Teton County Mental Health Association. Uh, and of course it, it grew like wildfire and it's been ever successful ever since. And that was a need and we, and I didn't do this on my own. There were six or eight other people who uh, organized that organization and got it going. The other one was the um, child care uh, organization. It's, it's, what's it called now? I think it used to be called uh, Children's Community, the Community Children's Project, and now that, is right. Children's Learning Center. That's correct. And my boys are both attendees, <laughs> and I love the Children's Learning Center. Well, in, in back in the early 70s, mm-hmm. uh, it was the development of that group, that nonprofit, was it was a preschool for developmentally disadvantaged children. There was no facility to deal with uh, preschool kids that had developmentally disadvantages. We started that organization, and of course it took off like wildfire and has been successful ever since. So in those days, it was a little easier to identify problems and the lack of institutions to deal with those problems, and those those weren't the only ones, but they were the ones that I was involved with, And, and thank goodness. Uh, because, again, there were uh, a handful of people that started the Children's Learning Center, and it's been successful ever since. So you see a need, and you get people to sit down and talk about it, and how do we resolve this need? How do we deal with it? How do we face it? And there's, as you know, this community is so filled with capable people, and, um, and we're able to gather those people together and solve a bunch of problems. Bruce, well said. You identify a need, and you get people together. But for that, getting people together and yourself, somebody had to take action. What can you share with people of why it is important to actually take action when you see a need? Why is it important? Yeah. <laughs> uh, myself and many others, we, we not really to sit back and, and just ignore a need when we know it's in the best interest of the community to deal with it head on. And not every effort is successful, by the way. Sometimes you end up in a brick wall and nothing happens. But most cases, the uh, efforts I've been involved with over the years, they've been successful. And there's been a series of them. And uh, I'm not really comfortable sitting, sitting here and with this microphone in my face. <laughs> but, you know, I just tend to be involved. Mm-hmm. I and mean, it's my nature. And, uh, and I'm asked to be involved and, and I volunteer to be involved. Uh, Rotary, for instance, I mean, it's a worldwide organization. Uh, you know, there's a million two hundred thousand members in 150 countries, 36,000 clubs. We're one, and there are three clubs here. 
I'm in the noon club, as you are, and uh, we see a need for education in in this valley to to help young people when they're graduating from high school that can't afford, in most cases, to go to college. Uh, we assist them to, to uh, provide that um, option. And last year, we raised $250,000, which was absolutely incredible. Gave out 36 uh, scholarships from $1,000 up. And we're going to do the same thing this year. Now, whether we'll be able to raise 250000 who knows. But whatever we raise, we give away to very deserving uh, high school seniors in Jackson Hole High School, the community center of the community high school, and what's... I think Teton Science School. Teton well. Science School. Correct. And so everybody's eligible, and, and uh, that's a very busy committee that decides who gets those scholarships. And that's, I just feel so good about Rotary uh, being able to provide those kinds of funds for kids that are very deserving. And some of them would be going to college anyway, mm -hmm. but uh, this gives them uh, more options as where to go. And the other thing about Rotary is that they've eliminated polio from the face of the earth, not just in the United States, but around the world. Rotary has raised billions of dollars to eliminate polio. That is such an incredible achievement, and we can all be very proud to be Rotarians as a result. So there's an organization that's worldwide that reaches out and does really good things. That's right. And there's so many other wonderful organizations that have local reach, statewide reach, national and even international reach. So if people, for everybody who's listening, if you are currently not a part of an organization, get out there, identify what you want to be associated with for a need, and just go ask, how can I help? I want to help. Put me on a committee and volunteer your time because you can make a little impact and you hear Bruce talking today, and you've made an enormous impact through the short 80 years <laughs> of your life. You've made a fantastic impact, not only on this community for our state, but also on a national level, because you are willing to give your time and help other people. Well, I appreciate that. It's been my honor to do that. And I agree with you. People are not going to come to ask you to be part of a nonprofit. We have 200 nonprofits in Jackson Hole. Uh, they're not going to come to you. Sometimes they'll come to you. But in most cases, you've got to say, you know, I really want to be involved. in, And you have to determine what sector, what are your mental health, education, uh, traffic, uh, planning, uh, what, what area are you really concerned about. There's going to be a nonprofit or an appointed board like the Planning Commission or mental health, there'll be an, effort, an opportunity for you to get involved as a volunteer, as a fundraiser, as a board member, and it is great fun. And you'll be associated with people like-minded that want the same, to achieve the same thing you want to achieve. And, it's, and you spread your wings and you get to meet people and they're all focused and they want to make this a better community. It's great fun to be a part of that. It's a challenge and it takes time but it is worth every minute. Well said, Bruce. Um, and the little nugget here today, you have to invest into something that you wanna see grow. It will not be easy, but when you invest in it, over time, you'll see it. It does not happen immediate. It's not as though you put a post on social media and boom, you see thousands of hits and likes. This is real life stuff. What you sow is what you reap. Very, very well said, Bruce. Thank you. You're done. 
So when you moved here in 1969 and then opened your practice in 1971, Jackson was a different place. What were some of the shenanigans that would go on in this town? (laughs) Well, when we moved here, uh, we lived uh, in Wilson. And Wilson in 1969 was a a different community. It really was uh, a a hippie community. And and I I use that in a very loving sense, that word. Uh, A lot of... um, ski patrolmen and fishing guides and just a loose bunch, wonderful bunch, are very serious about uh, making a living and, con- and uh, contributing to the betterment of the community. But, you know, just loosey-goosey, and it was great fun. And so, uh, obviously, Wilson has changed in the, from those days. Uh, as an architect, I remember asking a former official in the county, when I wanted to get a building permit in 1971, what did I have to do? He said, well, you filled out a one-page form, signed it, attached a $25 check to it, and you're in. You got your building permit, you do, and I could do whatever I wanted, wherever I wanted, no matter how high or wide or how close to water or anything. Of course, that's, that's a 180 now. We, it's a very lengthy and, and complicated and costly process to get a building permit. But I'd rather have it more complicated than the way it was in those days because we, you and I and and your listeners, have a little more control as to what happens in Jacksonville from the built environment. Buildings, how high, how wide, parking, landscaping, all that sorts of things that we have to fulfill those kind of requirements. And it's it's no question it's complicated, uh, it's costly, time-consuming, but there, and it's probably a little overdone at the moment, but I'd rather have it a little overdone than, than just do whatever you want. We did a building in a, an adjacent county several years ago, and we asked the planning department, the building department, what do we have to do to get a building permit? He said, just tell us well your, where your septic tank is relative to your well and go for it. So <laughs> I, I'm going, whoa, that's it, that's it. You guys are overregulated up there in Teton County. <laughs> so I, I'd rather have it overregulated than under uh, because your property is being protected as, as mine is, and we know what's going to happen next door. We all have to abide by the same rules. So that I, I, I agree with that. Okay. Thank you for, for sharing that. I'm sure that compared to 1971 to in today's world, um, you've seen a lot of changes other than the building regulations here in this town. And change happens. It's inevitable. What is something that you have seen as the community or the state as a whole of how something has changed where people feel as though that Jackson's a beautiful, amazing place, but let people understand what Jackson was like in 1971 when you were first operating your your architectural firm? Well, at, uh, that's uh, almost uh, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly 50 years ago, that's that's a long time. And things were a lot less people here, a lot less traffic. Uh, the concerns about traffic and affordable housing and, uh, and so forth and so on were not big issues because they were all just running along just fine. Uh, but as we grow, and I don't think we're growing by leaps and bounds, but there are a lot more people here now than there were then. And we have traffic issues. The number one issue for me uh, in, in this community is affordable workforce housing. Uh, because a couple months ago, there was a, a form, and the housing trust director, the housing de- 
uh, department and the town county and habitat director were all up there at a, on a little stage and I asked them, uh, how many people drive into Jackson every day from Victor, Driggs, and Alpine and South? And the answer was up to 10,000. And I'm going, no, Bruce, up to 10,000 people drive in here every day. And I don't want to house those 10,000 people here, but I'd like to house some of them. And what's some mean? A thousand. Um, because if we're going to have a whole healthy community with soccer moms and, and members of nonprofit boards and so forth and so on, we have to have some permanent people around and not at five o'clock everyone goes away and who's left? Just people who can afford to be here. And they, they, there are kids in school somewhere else. They use other uh, hospitals and so forth and they spend their paycheck somewhere else. I'd like some of those people to be here to enjoy the amenities that you and I enjoy by being able to live here and have them be able to live here too. So affordable workforce housing is my number one challenge, our number one challenge. And I think we're working on it. And I think um, uh, we're never gonna catch up because we're looking at 2,800 units to be at 65%. Someone says that. And uh, we're not gonna build 2,800 units, maybe over 20 or 30 years. But where are they gonna go? And, and I have a piece of property in Jackson that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars for a single family house. Well, no matter what you put on that piece, it's not affordable. So we have to subsidize the cost of the land. We, can we architects, and there are lots of us in this valley, can design and have built affordable housing. That is a no-brainer. But the land is so expensive that whatever you put on that expensive land is not affordable. So we have to subsidize the land or have someone give it to us, or go to the city, the county, and raise money from the private sector to buy land to build affordable units. And that's our challenge. It's being met. It's not being met enough. It's too slow, like Habitat just opened up these units um, at, they, at um, the Grove. Mm -hmm. And we, I went to that opening. Oh my God, those eight families. Oh, it, it brings a tear to your eyes to see those wonderful eight families with 23 children that are gonna move into those units. I mean, they never dreamed they'd ever own anything in Jackson Hole. It's the wildest dream. And they're gonna be great citizens of this community, the, the, the parents and the kids, because they're gonna be here a long time. So anyway, those are our challenges. Um, housing is our biggest challenge, but we have traffic. Uh, we have um, uh, the school system is operating well, but it can be better tomorrow than it is today. Education is my number one priority nationally, and we're, we're meeting that challenge. Uh, it is a great place to live. Uh, my wife, who was born and raised here, she's a native. Uh, her issues uh, are traffic. I mean, she doesn't like all the traffic. And I say, Carolyn, when we need to go somewhere between 4.30 and 6, we just need to leave a little early. <laughs> okay, Bruce, I understand. Rather than four-lane roads, let's just leave a little early. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, Carolyn, who was born and raised here on Kelly Street, it was a dirt road when she was a child. And the school bus picked her up at Kelly Street because it was in the county. So, I mean, she's seen incredible changes. Mm -hmm. My 50, almost 50 years, uh, I've, I've seen more people, more traffic. But we can deal with all that. It's, a, it's just part of growth. Mm -hmm. And if, if a community's not growing, it's a little dead. I mean... Yeah, we have, and we have manageable growth, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, there are other people who are 180 from that attitude who want no growth, no more new buildings, 
No more cars. <laughs> no more anything. Enough's enough. And we've read all the ads and we've listened to all the, the dialogue. Uh, we, we, we have a controlled growth here. I, I, this place is not going to be 50,000 people. We do live in a spectacular place, and it can be shared with others. Sure. People that want to visit, people that want to live here, and sometimes, yeah, not everybody will be able to live in the place where they work, but the more that can uh, makes it all better, creates more of a sustainable community. And for all those folks who are getting affordable housing, they will be, I hope, very valuable and involved community members, giving back to the community just like you have for the past 50 years. I wish I'd said that. <laughs> well said, Stefan. <laughs> Thank you. This has been fantastic having you here, Bruce, because you are a leader and a motivator in this community. And you are very humble. And I don't feel that you always would say something like that. But to leave the conversation today, if you had to give a little nugget of inspiration or advice to people listening to live a happy, fulfilled life, what would that be for you? I think step up and get involved. And uh, we, uh, I'm on the Daxton Conservation Alliance Board, and we have a leadership institute within the, that organization. And it has been incredibly successful. Uh, twice a year, we have millennials primarily that come together 15 or 18 at a time and talk about planning, talk about protecting wildlife and those kinds of issues that are important to all of us. And they bring in speakers like the mayor or, or a member of the town council or uh, legislative leaders on the statewide basis and game and fish and so forth, so forth to talk to these young people. When they graduate in eight weeks and they have three hours a week for eight weeks, they're, they're asked, okay now, you're more prepared now to step up and get involved. And they do. They, they say, okay, yeah, I agree. And so they get involved in nonprofits and so forth. And so those, most of those um, young people are millennials, and we all complain about millennials aren't motivated. They don't stand up. And, well, I disagree with that. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a characterization I don't think is particularly fair because I know a lot of millennials that are involved and are stepping up. And there's so much benefit. And people say forever, I get so much more out of this than I put in because they're associated with people with like minds and like motivations and, and they all want the same thing. And they just have found it so beneficial. They've expanded people who they get along with and, and work with. And their network. Their network. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 the benefits are just incredible. So I think pick an issue that you're concerned about and find out who else uh, is involved and step up and get involved. It, it's great fun. Mm -hmm. It does take time and energy, uh, but uh, we all have time, right? That, we, we all have time. So get up, and, and if you have any issues with how to do that, there are people around, myself included, to sit down and talk to you about how to get involved. What's your, what are your interests? And, and we point you in the right direction. Thank you. And so if people want to get in touch with you, do you have an email address that people could reach out, use and reach out to yeah. you? Yeah. It's B Houghton, H-A-W-T-I-N, at Houghton, Jorgensen, J-O-R-G-E-N-S-E-N.com. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. Everybody, listen to what Bruce said. Just step up, go out, and get involved. 
the first time you do it will feel a little uncomfortable, will be a little tough, but what you get back will be far more than what you ever invest into it. Bruce, thank you for coming today. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. I'm honored and my great pleasure to be here. Thank you, Stefan, for the opportunity. You're welcome. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Thank you everyone for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Y'all come back again, you hear?